This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. That is a little of the beginning of the Metta Sutta, the words of loving kindness, the description of the preliminaries to loving kindness that the Buddha has recorded. This is possibly one of the most chanted one of the most repeated suttas in all of the Buddhist canon. And I wanted to start with that because in this retreat, it's not simply something where I keep suggesting to you that you suddenly be loving <laughs> and friendly, <laughs> because that could end up only frustrating you. It's not easy. This is not a condition which most people dwell in. And if I just tell you, you shouldn't be such a greedy, angry, ignorant sort of person, you should be loving and kindly all the time. <laughs> that won't help you. <laughs> so the Buddha is a, is a teacher and he is a systematic teacher, the best kind. In some ways, he's not a mystic. Mystics are not good teachers. Uh, you see this in various crafts and arts, that some people are geniuses when it comes to music or painting or poetry, but are absolutely hopeless at, at trying to help anybody else cultivate their craft. And so the mystic may come across this kind of sublime emotion, and you will see them, they be radiant, floating in loving kindness all the time, and may even encourage you to do the same, but they can't tell you how. They can't understand why you can't do this. So the Buddha is a much larger personality. He himself has attained this, but he also has a whole dimension of personality, which is that of a teacher. You may or may not know that the Buddha was gifted with many incredible capacities, which uh, you might describe as miraculous um, sort of capacities, supernormal powers. And uh, he was not shy to actually list them off. And a number of his disciples, and indeed a number of other people in human history have had exceptional capacities. It may stretch credibility to talk about some of them, but uh, certainly we see that certain people have an incredible capacity at mathematics or physics or music, or some have incredible memories, such as the capacity to remember every minute of their lives, perhaps from the age of two on. Now, most of us can't remember 98% of it, it's gone. <laughs> 
So when you hear that somebody can do this, it's, it's absolutely astonishing. What did the Buddha say, though, was his greatest supernormal capacity? And what is it that distinguishes him from the other fully enlightened disciples who followed his teachings and arrived at the same level, exalted level of freedom from uh, suffering? It's this, the capacity to teach. Of all the capacities, he says, the greatest one, the greatest miraculous power is the capacity to teach, to teach someone else. And so sadhu to all those grade two teachers that are not getting their proper respect, all the way up. Human animal is uh, not like an insect. It's not like even a mouse. <laughs> it, it requires a lot of teaching. Even when you're 20 years old, you still need a lot of teaching. Human, uh, a human who has no teachers and is unsupported is uh, quite a mess, uh, pretty well unrecoverable. And so it's only because we are surrounded by teachers and we recognize as humans that we were taught and we try to teach others that uh, you can have some benefits in life. Your only job is actually to seek out the best teachers. And the best teachers are those who can tell you the right word at the right time. Bright is the ring of words when the right man says them. And so this idea of teaching is that the Buddha is teaching to uh, a certain audience at a certain time. The Buddha is gone now. He has left his teachings behind and we as somewhat less than the Buddha uh, cannot know exactly what you need to hear as an individual at a certain time. Sometimes we get, we're fortunate. We, we can hit the mark and you have an understanding there's no teacher alive on the planet now that is equivalent in capacity to the Buddha, but we do as well as we can with what has been left behind. So the suttas are the gifts left behind by the Buddha, and we consider them precious, and we reflect on them again and again and again. It's not something that you just read through like a technical manual and throw it aside. You really just have to immerse in it. So when we, when we try to cultivate this loving kindness, we begin with kindness to ourselves and we realize we're, what we are is a teachable animal. We are a teachable human. And that we need to understand what it is that goes into this process in order to get this delicious result. Remember yesterday I talked about uh, the description of loving kindness or the Brahma Vihara of metta, loving-kindness, as a dwelling of the, is where the gods live. It is the castles in the sky. And there's a nice saying by Thoreau, which has stuck with me for a long time. If you have built castles in the sky, that is where they should be. Now put the foundations under them. And so you should actually have a very shiny-eyed idealism about this possibility of learning to dwell in these, these heavenly mansions, these dwellings of the gods, you should, you should be swept away by that, like a great piece of music sweeps you into that sometimes. 
exalts you, a great poem, a great speech sometimes sweeps you into that. Don't be afraid to do that. Let, let go and go there. But don't let it be simply a mysterious event that happened to you. People try to do this with, with drugs, with various experiences. They, they try to um, induce it by extreme experiences or various types of uh, interactions. They try to get there because once you do taste that, you will do almost anything to get back there. The Buddha is saying, don't be so desperate. There is a way. This is not something that is, it's not actually magical. It's something that you have the capacity to do, but you need to find out how to do it. So yesterday I talked about what is loving kindness? What is it? And today I just want to talk about how. How do you do it? And so this is the, the map the Buddha gives and the instructions for building the foundations for this sublime uh, emotional experience. And this is the first part of the Loving-Kindness Sutta. There's only a handful of, of suttas, really, that the Buddha has left behind, although it's a huge mark of Buddhism, is that loving-kindness is the most profitable, the most beneficial, the most productive of all of the, the emotions. There is only one is in the entire universe, it's the second, only the second to one further. And that is a glimpse of impermanence of anicca dukkha anatta, the insight into which leads to ultimate freedom. Loving kindness is the most bountiful and productive, the greatest return on investment. It will give you an abundance now, at every moment that you're in it, and it has repercussions in the future. So it has enormous, actually incalculable kind of uh, results to it. And the Buddha goes on and on about this. And it doesn't take much. If you can generate this for a few seconds, it has enormous results, the kind of energy that atomic energy uh, contains. The Buddha talks about, he says to the monks that, you know, if you're, if you're living as a monk, you know, uh, lay people are supporting you. They're feeding you every day. They, they give you the, the basics of your life. And if you're not practicing or if you're not, if you have not attained some degree of enlightenment, then uh, you're living in debt. That's rather harsh talk to monks because most monks are not enlightened, <laughs> especially when they first start and they felt guilty. So some of them started disrobing. They say, I, I, I really, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of being fed and given all my things. So I better just chuck it because I don't think I might make it. So the, the Buddha gave another teaching. He said, monks, if you, can ma if you can manage to generate true loving kindness for the amount of time of one squirt from the cow's udder, like a shot of milk, then you are debt-free. You can live the rest of your life receiving alms and support from lay people and not feel guilty. <laughs> Just one squirt. That's about a, a one second or so, one or two seconds. Most people haven't milked a cow. <laughs> I haven't milked a cow. <laughs> but it was a common enough, common enough uh, experience at the time of the Buddha that he used it. 
And it's a very beautiful simile because it's one squeeze of milk. And, and of course, people were living on this. Uh, the, the calf lives on the mother's milk. The human lives on the mother's milk. It's really one squeeze of loving kindness because loving kindness is nourishment for the human. Uh, you cannot live, your, your mother has to nourish you. You live from your mother. And so if you can generate this for one uh, couple of seconds, you're free. So that's the, that's the abundance that this generates. So also in this whole retreat, which goes on for 10 days, you know, if you can pull off a few seconds of real loving kindness, uh, see what happens, see how it changes your life, see what the repercussions are. So look forward to that. It's not necessarily that you'll float through the 10 days um, being, maintaining it, although I wish, I wish that you would. Um, and beyond that, but even if you can find your way in there for a few seconds, the amount of positive energy that that generates within your consciousness structure, within your body and mind is incalculable. It's really hard to put figures and numbers on the return on, on your, this investment, which you don't have, you don't have to have any money to do this. You don't even have to have fortunate circumstances. You just have to listen to the Buddha's voice. So this is what should be done. This is t telling, the Buddha is saying, it's not something that just you just fall into. This is what you should do. This is the proceedings. Here's how you start. This is the actions that follow. By one who is skilled in goodness. So right off the bat, actually, you can't expect this to arrive if you're not skilled in goodness. If you are only clumsy and unskillful, what is unskillful? It means you're unskillful in the emotions, that you dwell in the unskillful emotions of what we call the five hindrances of greed, of irritability and anger and hatred, of scattered attention or uh, falling into sloth, heaviness, depression, and an inability to have any kind of uh, clarity, which in other words, doubt over things which uh, it is not profitable to doubt. These are impediments to your mind and your well-being, and these are come up because of a lack of skill. So this is what you need to do is develop your skills. And the Buddha is saying, skilled in what? Skilled in goodness. And the word goodness is the folk word for these skillful emotions. What are the skillful emotions? They are the opposite of greed, hatred, and ignorance. What are the opposites of greed, hatred, and ignorance? Well, there's two opposites of greed. One is generosity, of course. To be generous is a skillful thing. And if you are a generous person, you are skilled in goodness. There's also a sense of detachment from acquisition. So that's called renunciation. If you uh, are not particularly highly motivated to uh, gather things all the time, that's also a freedom. You are a person who mm, is okay. You feel content. 
And so generosity and contentment are skilled emotions. The other skilled emotion, what is anger is unskillful. What is the opposite of anger? Uh, goodwill. And of course, the essence of goodwill is loving kindness. However, we don't need to be immersed in loving kindness all the time. That's a tall order. But at least we can be free of ill will. So can we be with, can we dwell in non-ill will? Can we at least be neutral, at ease, not uh, seized by judgmental emotions, not seized by irritability and anger? These are, uh, if we can do this, then we have some skills. The other thing, the ignorance part is the, is primarily that we can't, we don't have a large enough view of things. And how do you get a large, if, you, if you're ignorant, how do you get over this ignorance? Usually you have to listen to others. So the voice of another is one of the ways to come out of that. And you allow that voice to persuade you because that voice has more skill, more knowledge, more wisdom. So you listen to that voice and you ride on that voice and you, you just follow the directions of that voice. Now there's nothing problematic about this. It's the way we learn everything. And of course, you know, uh, your family situation, how you were raised, it, it may not have been skillful. You might have seen many, uh, much evidence of how to interact with others is through shouting or throwing things or uh, all kinds of negative emotions is your only example of how you interact, how you consider others. And if that's the case, then you were raised in ignorance. And so you need a new family to start. You need new teachers and you start again because that is no way to live. So the unskillful emotions are greed, hatred, and all of the kind of subtle uh, categories around those things. So greed can also just be, you know, a kind of constant uh, craving for things. Uh, and anger could be just irritability. Even boredom is a form of uh, ill will. Boredom is a, a condition where you're not satisfied with the situation. Uh, you're you don't like it. And so there's a lot of, uh, you got to examine the whole spectrum of emotions. Get yourself in a dictionary of emotions and go through it and find out how many of them really can be listed under these basic categories of greed, of hatred, and delusion. So you should also not be satisfied with uh, constant restlessness, inability to focus, or heaviness, dullness. And you should not be in a state of desperate doubt all the time either, anxious uncertainty. So these are some of the skills that are in integrated into the, the foundations of this loving kindness. And it's, so the first kind of part of the uh, cultivation of loving kindness is to reduce the negative stuff. The loving kindness rises quite easily when you're not harassed. You know, I mean, just think about it in terms of externals. If you're in a situation at work or with relatives or with other people, or if you're thrown into a, a situation where people or the, the environment or the animals or anything are harassing you all the time, 
it's very unlikely that you're going to suddenly come across this goodwill. So the first thing, the first kindly thing we can do for ourselves is try to reduce the harassments. And of course, the, the person who harasses us the most is, is us. We internalize things. It, it may have started externally with people, could be your family, could be friends or enemies. Uh, it could even be just uh, ideas, basically. Your concept of yourself in the world, if it's shapen in the wrong way, shaped in the wrong way, then it, it can be a constant harassment and it's generated within you. So this is the first thing. Whatever, what, however convinced you are of that story, stop listening to it. Yep, you have to trust the Buddha, say, because a lot of people resist that. They, they want to know all about the story. They want to analyze the story. They want to know the ins and outs of the story. The Buddha says, cut to the chase. Just go straight to it. Cut the story off. Don't try to investigate it. You will never find yourself in that story. There is no actual self in that story. There is no real you in the story. The story is, a, is, a, is just mistakes, and there is nobody behind the mistakes. So just drop the story and feel the relief and allow yourself to. And if you can't do that by yourself, get convinced. Listen to me. <laughs> Let me hypnotize you. <laughs> Let me convince you to stop telling negative stories about yourself and others. And this is, this is the value of the voice of another is that you can sometimes do that when you're listening to a voice that is confidently telling you that you should do this. So you can utilize that as a tool, as a skill. Uh, the voice of another can be, you can go back to that, find voices that allow you to stop telling negative stories, harassment stories about yourself. So the next is uh, one who knows the path of peace. So this is the first little bit of the sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. It's a very loaded first three lines there. The And who knows the path of peace, guess what the path of peace is? I can't hear you. <laughs> the Eightfold Path, yes, that's right. Uh, the Eightfold Path is the path of peace. And so, what do we understand by this? Is that loving kindness, when, when we speak of metta, it is Buddhist metta. <laughs> it's not just any kind of love. It's uh, Buddhist love. And this, I, I sometimes give whole courses on mindfulness. And the first thing I say is, it's, there isn't any course on, I'm not teaching a course on mindfulness. I'm teaching a course on right mindfulness. Right mindfulness means it's, one of the parts of the Eightfold Path, it, it's mindfulness in a context. So loving kindness also has been pulled into the Eightfold Path. It makes a lot more sense. You'll have a lot better chance of developing it if you know that this is a component of a path. So we started with skills in goodness, and that is not uh, separate from the Eightfold Path, because the entire Eightfold Path is about skills in goodness. 
sometimes we put it into three parts, sila, samadhi, panya. And the sila are skills, moral skills, skills of speech, skills of action. Skillful speech and skillful action are the are sila, virtue. And then this allows the arising of the samadhi mind. And it's better to talk about the samadhi heart, the samatha heart within you, the, the serene and clear and focused heart within you. It has arrived at serenity and clarity within you because it is not being harassed. And the preliminary to this is the skill of goodness, this sila. And what results from this calm, uh, contained, serene heart within you, wisdom arises. What is the wisdom? How you can maintain this. How it arises, how it is maintained, and how it is ultimately deepened and brought to perfection. What is the perfection, by the way? It's when you're free and you will not go back. That's the perfection. So this is uh, pretty loaded, the uh, first few words of this sutta. And so you may have thought you were just going to do a little thing on loving kindness, but now you're into it. We have opened up a whole continent to explore. Uh, don't think of this as too much to do or study. It's actually delightful. Welcome. Welcome to a, a, whole, a whole world in, in itself. So this, the Eightfold Path contains loving-kindness, and loving-kindness contains much of the best of the Eightfold Path as well. You'll find, uh, as we, we go through this, that you will see the connections that are being made. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. So here again, you have reinforcement of what we're talking about, able and upright. Being able is just able in, uh, in how to, able to understand and institute the, the instructions, some abilities to carry out, to first of all, to learn the instructions. So you who are watching and listening to me are listening and your job here is to learn and to make yourself capable of acting out some of these instructions, internalizing some of these instructions. Being upright is just another word for being a moral and trustworthy person. And uh, this is something very important to, to give yourself a definition of yourself as this upright person. A lot of people don't quite understand this, that being upright is liberating. A lot of the trivial, uh, shadowy, edge of morality stuff is because we are not, we're, we're dealing at a too trivial level. People, you know, they'll steal a pen from work or some trivial thing from work because they work for a big corporation and you know they got all this stuff and they're manipulating you anyway and I'll, you, know, you got so I'll take a few paper clips or something you know just like does the upright person do that are they convinced by that argument no 
they say to themselves, it is beneath contempt to need to take back these little things. If it's not given, I don't take it because it's beneath me. It's simply beneath me. These are trivialities of the world I shall not indulge in. My, my, my clarity, my, uh, my lightness of being is far too valuable to be trivializing with any of this stuff. I just don't need that stuff. It's, you, are, you are now acting as if you are a king or a queen, that you are above all this, and it's only by thinking of yourself above all this that you ever can be above all this. If you're for sale for an extra paperclip, are you a king or are you a peasant? <laughs> you are a peasant. <laughs> Lift yourself up, my friend. <laughs> be upright. So this is the holding yourself. This is the Buddha talked. You know, this, the, the human walks around upright. The animal walks horizontal. You are upright. You stay human. And that's how you... you you qualify for humanity not by the fact that you walk around on two legs, but by that you're upright in your, your sense of virtue and morality and your interactions with other people. That is how you become a human. And to be truly human is to be royalty, is to be noble. So if you want into the aristocracy, all it is is it's a mindset, right? And even if you're, you see people who are born into wealth and so forth, but they're not noble. They're still looking for pennies, uh, looking for the edge of morality, and they're in the shadows and so forth. This is because they can never be truly of the royalty. Because royalty is not about possessions, eh? It's being above possessions. Straightforward, that is not having secret agendas all the time, especially manipulative agendas. Sometimes you can have a secret agenda, and that is that you're going to help a person. You're going to encourage them. You're going to bring them along. And they, they, you think, well, I don't want to tell them this. Uh, I, I want to bring them along. They, then they'll enjoy this. And uh, because they might be resistant if I, if I tell them I'm going to bring them along. So see, certain concealed agendas are all right, but you have to be straightforward with people, um, not manipulative uh, in a negative way or manipulative to, to try to get something out of them. And finally, gentle in speech. And this gentleness of speech is very interesting because it feeds back. So, you know, Without a gentle heart, you really can't find out what gentle speech is. Certainly, if, if you can't generate this positive emotion of loving kindness, then you should actually memorize how to speak or learn sentences that are appropriate. But it's still like memorizing dialogue in a play. How are you ever going to be spontaneous and just say the right thing? at the right time. Ultimately, it's only when you get loving kindness. Loving kindness is the source of true right speech. In the meantime, you can uh, act as if you have loving kindness. Uh, by the way, that's not a bad thing. Before you can really 
do anything, you need to kind of, in a wooden way, go through the, the steps. Uh, even when you learn to dance, you have the, you have to put your foot this way and that way. There's no dancing at first. You just have to learn how to make the moves. And eventually it turns from a dry exercise into the dance. And then you feel it. So this is part of this cultivation of loving kindness and right speech. We go through the motions. We don't always feel it. Be prepared not always to feel it. It's a dry exercise sometimes until the tap opens and loving kindness gushes out. And right speech gushes out. Right speech gushes out from loving kindness. But before that, you need to at least attempt to act as if you have loving kindness and attempt to speak as if you have loving kindness. So these are, these are all why the Buddha is a great teacher is that he will show you the moves painfully point by point so that you can slowly put it together and finally get there. And then it will all be worthwhile. So this is the beginning of how to do it.